Hello, <laughs> and welcome to the Creative Me podcast. Um, a little chuckle from myself there, just because I was just speaking to Lauren Aitchinson about me hating the sound of my own voice. <laughs> so yeah, welcome to the Creative Me podcast with your host, Ike Headlam. I'm very conscious that last the last episode of Gary Kemp, I didn't actually introduce myself. So yeah, this is the Creative Me podcast, and you know we're exploring creativity, creativity in Aberdeen. Um, Today, on the second episode of the podcast, we have Lauren Aitchinson. Um, she is a journalism graduate, Ian Rankin Scholarship winner, and runner-up of the Column of the Year at the Scottish Student Journalism Awards. Yeah, all a long time ago now, distant oh, okay. memory. How but, long? Um, oh, I graduated be about five years ago now, Okay. I would think. All right. About that. Cool. I think before you came on, I was kind of actually wondering, not wondering, kind of curious about how does someone get that kind of passion for writing? Because you're, you mentioned before, you're in the process of writing your book. You also have a blog, and a political blog, Bimbo Magazine. Yeah. I thought that was kind of interesting, a bit of play on words there, because you're far from that stereotypical yeah. assumption of a bimbo. So just kind of tell me a bit more about like, where your passion for writing came from. Um, I think I was speaking to a writer, I was down in Edinburgh um, seeing my friend Lucy recently yeah. and uh, she runs a gallery called Flamingosaurus Rex and there was sort of this opening and I was speaking to another writer there and we were saying it's really difficult to talk about um, being a writer without um, sounding like you were like, oh it's just like breathing to me, I can't not write. Um, but that is kind of how it is. Um, when I was a child um, I was quite advanced. That. Um, that didn't happen later on. But when I was a child, I was quite advanced and they had to, my mum had to send me to school because I was too advanced for a nursery. Okay. Um, so I got, went to school when I was four. Um, and also my mum couldn't entertain me anymore because all I wanted to do was read and be read to. And oh. it, I was finding it very frustrating that I couldn't read. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's, I don't know. I, I, um, when After I graduated, I didn't write for about nine months because I'd had, I was just fed up of it. Okay. And because training to be a journalist is how to, how to write. You should be doing it like this, like this, like this. Okay. And um, so I didn't write for nine months because I was absolutely fed up of it. Um, but then I just can't not. <laughs> I just always come back to it. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, so I guess you're saying from when you were starting, it was a kind of like a very rigid kind of style of this is how you should do it if you want to be successful. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, you have to do news writing and um, feature writing. And I was very good at news writing. Mm-hmm. But um, when I did work experience in newspapers, I, I didn't enjoy it. Um, because it made me quite a cold person. Okay, how comes? Um, I think even with local news, um, like, well, for example, I, I did work experience at the Evening Telegraph in Dundee, which is a really big evening newspaper, and I wrote this story um, about a bus driver who had driven a bus over a level crossing when there was a train coming. Oh. Um, and it ended up that she was, the driver was investigated, and yeah. she eventually lost her job. And... It's totally right that she probably should have lost her job because of what she did. But um, yeah, that's been years now and I still panic about her and still wonder about her mortgage. Does she have kids? Does she find another job okay? And I think if you've got to do that to somebody every day of your life, you just have to become cold like you, because you just take your work home with you. Yeah, I think it's kind of like, you, can, you know, you've seen stuff like that in the press. I think in the past couple of years, as in like, you know, people were like breaching. The phone hacking and yeah, everything, yeah. people's privacy. Yeah. And it seems to be a kind of like callous kind of cold, well, this is, everyone's doing it, so, oh, why not? This is how we're getting a story. And it's good, I think it's good that you can be reflective and then say like, oh, actually, taking a step back from this because 
deep down, this is not me. This is not the person I want to become. And yeah, because I'm I'm known as quite like an overly emotional person amongst my friends. I'm okay. the crier. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, but I got interviewed. Uh, by Channel 4 after the Scottish referendum. It was a total coincidence. They caught me when I was going into the pub. Um, and I was speaking to the producer of the show and she said she had a friend who was like that. She was working for one of the tabloids and she'd been doing this human interest piece about this child with cancer. And she phoned the parents a few months later for an update and they said, oh, well, actually, the kids died. Okay. And she went, oh, great. Oh. Because from the story point of view, that's a better story if the child's died. And so she just went and handed her notes and she said, if that is my reaction now to hearing the death of a child, it's like, oh, well, this is a good story for me, then, yeah. Uh, yeah <laughs> and I just, yeah, so when we spoke about that, I thought, oh, God, I just wouldn't want to get to that stage. Yeah, that's, yeah, it's, it's, it's something as well, like, you know, because I, I don't know anyone who, well, you know, probably knows a few acquaintances who are writers, but not like to have to sit down and have this kind of conversation about, mm-hmm. especially that kind of journalism route and where it could go. It seems quite... It's insightful for me just hearing that little kind of couple stories you're saying. It's like, oh, okay, that's <laughs> what kind of happens a bit. You know? Yeah. Um, so then I find now when I say like when I say to people I'm a writer, mm-hmm. I think one of the things I'm trying to fight against a little bit is because I mean I, I'm like you, I'm a council employee, a local government employee, yeah. and I work in customer services. I answer phones all day and talk about bins and uh, missing dogs <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. That's all I do all day. Um, but um, I. Th- think I think um, our generation um, older people find it really difficult to understand um, if you enjoy something why aren't you monetizing it yeah or how are you not managing to do that I think university is still seen as this sort of golden ticket by older people yeah. that you go and once you've been to university if you've got that degree then you walk into whatever job you want yeah. and so um, when I started at the council people kept constantly saying to me oh did you not think about being a journalist <laughs> as <laughs> No, this, this no is it fun. never yeah. occurred to me. I went and trained to be a journalist and then it didn't occur to me. But then, um, no, I, I didn't want to go down the news route, yeah. news route but um, there's all the other nonsense um, in my life, like the relationship I was in at the time and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I got offered a few jobs that I had to turn down. Yeah. Um, but I'm kind of glad I didn't go down that route. And although I wouldn't say I love my job, um, it's something I can just leave at work. And so when I go home, I've got all this free time to do all my writing in the evening okay. i'm not taking my job home with me so mm. it's it's kind of fine for now okay cool and i think you know i was reading um the online uh, magazine bimbo magazine yeah. i think that's like like i said before a very kind of cool play on words because you know that's far from who you are as a person you know um so how did you kind of get to be starting that online magazine um i Probably started thinking about it about a year ago when, I don't know if you remember the Ched Evans football case, it was a footballer um, who raped someone, Um, but then when um, it went to court, they got men that the victim had slept with previously to come in and give evidence about what she'd been like in bed. I never knew that. Yes, and they used that as evidence. Against her. Against her, yes, the fact that she had been promiscuous. Um, and so I wrote a piece about that and I found that more and more, especially because I write a lot about domestic abuse, um, that I was having all these like, oh, here's me and my dog going on a day out kind of posts and days out in Edinburgh and things like that. And then the next day it would be like, yeah, Chet Evans, here's a time I was sexually assaulted, domestic abuse. And um, it was really um, up and down. And um, I was writing... I've gotten involved in other people's political projects before. Um, when I graduated, I was a political editor for an online magazine and then the editor 
stole all the money and disappeared. Oof. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> and then um, I got involved um, with my friend Dan uh, Paris and Ross Calhoun, who does um, all the social media for Nicola Sturgeon and SNP. We all started a project together. And then Dan said, oh, actually, I'm going to go and train to be a teacher. Bye, everyone. <laughs> um, and he was kind of in charge of that. So um, whenever I've gotten involved in other people's projects, it's always been so dependent on everyone working together and I'm just a bit of a control freak as well and okay. so I just thought I'll just do my own thing I don't even really care if bimbo becomes anything it's just such a good outlet for me yeah um and people like it's kind of on a hiatus at the moment because mm. of the book because okay. I was just being spread too thin but um it will be back in the new yeah. year I think in I've seen a couple of, like blog posts you're kind of touching on you know a lot of the obviously political kind of issues like the brexit kind of stuff mm -hmm. and all this and also kind of local Scottish kind of you know stuff as well you kind of touch yeah. on yeah and I was just kind of wondering, like, um, in the terms of, like, that kind of, like, before, you know, years ago, to kind of get that information, you'd have to go and open a newspaper. And what do you think that's going to be like in the future in the terms of actually blogging and speaking about, you know, politics? Um, I see um, the, the lot of... There's some bloggers that I follow who are really, really into politics. Like, Leanne Woodfill, she's an Irish blogger, and she's been really, really involved in all the abortion mm -hmm. issues going on in Ireland. Um... And I think people are starting to get frustrated with bloggers with these huge platforms who don't touch politics with a barge pole. Um, and when with um, Laurie, like for example with L'Oreal recently, with um, Monroe Bergdorf, Bergdorf um, being sacked for being outspoken about racism, yeah. but then some bloggers came out against it and... Um, Others have stuck with L'Oreal, not said anything, are very yeah. happy to take their money. Yeah. And I understand they've got to eat, but... Um, uh, I I don't uh, I don't know if that can continue. Yeah. Um, like Clara Amphill from Radio One, she left the L'Oreal campaign in solidarity, but of course she's got the money to do that because yeah. she's a Radio One. And that's the thing. That DJ. I, I was kind of you know thinking to myself about you know the kind of you know as you know some people say oh you know we're feminists and do you think that's always kind of works when it's even about the race you know about different races you think oh, okay yeah well we're still sisters solidarity <laughs> you think it's very like like you kind of touched on it just a bit there a bit kind of well. Actually, I can't really afford to kind of like. I can't afford follow. to be a feminist. Yeah, yes, yeah. Um, I th I think um, people see um, being women, being female, mm -hmm. and being um, a person of color as two completely separate issues. Whereas, yeah. of course, for a lot of women, they are the same thing. They are having to deal with being female and being black, um, and. Um, I think people are still still seeing that as very separate, as very white feminism, um, where we're pushing for. I I understand that. Um, like the gender pay gap, things like that, that directly affect white women. We I understand why we have to push for those things, but um, people uh, people of colour are paid a lot less. Like there just has to be intersectionality, otherwise it's not feminism. Mm -hmm. And um, part of feminism is acknowledging that you are still privileged because you're white. Yeah. I'm not privileged because I'm a woman, but I have some privilege because I'm white. Yeah. Um, my friend Shadi, she that's horrible. Her name is horrible in a Scottish accent. I'm sorry, darling, if you're listening. Like, um, Shadi. <laughs> like it's gorgeous in her accent, but in Scottish yeah. accent is horrible. Um, she um has just qualified as an architect. Um, so not only not only is she a female architect, but she's a black female architect, which is incredible. But she goes to all these job interviews, and the guys all sit in queuing up outside for the interview. It's all white guys. Mm -hmm. Um, and she, she, you'd just be thinking that companies would be looking to. Di be diverse yeah. um, but no they're just yeah still hiring yeah, their pals um, the funny thing like side note um, 
is at home yesterday and watching all these kind of like Christmas adverts and now there's very much kind of like mixed race kind of interracial yes. families and partnerships and I was laughing to my wife and saying oh when I was like I was born in 1981 so whenever like we grew up in our household there was like a black family on a TV show or game show we'd be rooted for them <laughs> Doesn't, you know we don't care about them the circumstances like oh it's a black family on TV everyone support them and then, and then you've seen that kind of like you know even in entertainment you see that kind of shift and uh I made a kind of like, you know, kind of remark of actually, oh, it's kind of like, the, probably like the in thing now, you know? And that's that's what I, that's how I kind of feel. It just kind of feels like... It's difficult to not be cynical. Yeah, They yeah. kind of can't win. It's like, is, are they doing it because, yeah, this is the in thing. There's a, a brilliant blogger called Grace Victory mm. and she is, <clears throat> she's mixed race yeah. and plus size. And um, she said, it just so happens at the moment that that's the cool thing that's what companies want so she's getting a lot of work right, right now and it's amazing that she is getting a lot of work and people are seeing her but she said that she kind of feels a bit like it's just she's trendy just now that people yeah. are trying to embrace um fat women and she's also lightly you know she's black she's mixed race but yeah. she's light-skinned yeah, yeah. um so she's kind of they don't have to go too far yeah. into having somebody yeah yeah it's just like, oh yeah, you're black, but you're not scary black. <laughs> like, you know, like you're not too black. You know, because <laughs> the thing is, like, you know, um, I've seen like even even like some of your posts like on Twitter, and you mentioned and about like the stuff about you know addressing race, and I was kind of felt like the discussion about race online or probably from the UK all seems to be very much geared towards how America sees it and not yes. um, how we kind of see it in like the UK. And I don't know, like, um, why do you think it is that in the UK we're kind of scared to kind of speak about race? Um, I think the UK totally sees it, it sees itself totally differently because we don't talk about slavery in the UK. Yeah. It's seen as this American thing. People, black people went from Africa yeah. and over to America and the UK had absolutely no involvement in it yeah. whatsoever. Yeah. Whereas it was just a bigger business as it was here, except yeah. we were just more the transportation side. Yeah. Um, but like even um, the modern art museum in the centre of Glasgow, which I'm sure you've seen, that was a slave owner's house. Yeah. I I barely know anyone that knows that. We've got Jamaica Street. It's like one. I'm pretty. Sh- I'm pretty sure that it's like one in four Jamaican families have Scottish surnames. Yeah. It's really common over there. Yeah. There's if you look at maps of places like Jamaica, they're loads of Scottish names all over the place. Yeah, it's Scottish nuts. and UK, you know, like, you know, places in England, you know, there's a place in Jamaica called Manchester. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think um, it's it's not like me kind of having an anti-English rant. I'm very much aware that I'm Afro-Caribbean, proud, you know, of that, you know, and but I think it's, it's almost kind of like, you know, we kind of, because what stuff happens in America, you know, and please kind of just, I say, you know, some people say shooting, I say killing people of colour. <laughs> Um, that it's reported over here and it's like, oh, kind of like, it's almost kind of that tone of that, oh, finger wagging, oh, you Americans, what have you done mm-hmm. now? But we're civilised and we're British, but the history of slavery in the UK and what the UK has contributed to that, I think is like equal to what's kind of gone on in America as well. And I always find it kind of interesting. I think like, um, like I have like, you know, friends, different races and, you know, and stuff, different cultural backgrounds. And I was going to feel that some people get a bit nervous about speaking about race. And I think I have one theory is whether they kind of think, I don't want to say something that's going to offend Ica right now. Yeah. You know, I don't want to say that word coloured and stuff because, you know, not like they're saying that to offend me, but that they've been brought up around that. So you see some people kind of look very nervous and climb up. But then other people just kind of like, oh, yeah, you know, <laughs> I, you know, they kind of surprise you. 
about what they know education wise mm-hmm. and stuff and about that and it seems like you know like the stuff in the magazines as I saw yesterday like um Lupita yeah they took her hair yeah they took her hair off yeah yeah um the actress um from 12 years a slave and stuff and I think it's a beautiful woman and then they're kind of just kind of just kind of like almost kind of like this watered down her appearance and that's gonna until that actually truly gets addressed these kind of issues and I think we're not going to move forward I think even like you see in America they've got a long way to Mm -hmm. go and I think in the UK because we're kind of like oh just not really kind of we kind of dance around it yeah. and we don't want to kind of actually speak about it as well. You know, it's just like, oh, okay, we'll just, we'll just leave it like that until something kind of comes up, you know? So yeah, it's kind of interesting how the world is and how the world, and especially how avocados perceive their kind of, you know, how they had how they're addressing race you know race relation issues and stuff like that yeah i find when i was in london people i was trying to explain to people um especially in rural areas of scotland it's just not diverse the way that it is anywhere else and we have a lot of polish people Mm -hmm. chinese people but i mean when i went to school um i think my high school was about one and a half thousand children and we had uh, two black kids okay um, and they were brothers (laughs) (laughs) and they live next door to my grandparents um and like I want to, they they moved down south, and I really want to meet them again because um, the father states he was from Zimbabwe, yeah. and the mum Charmaine she was from Jamaica, and their oldest son was born in Zimbabwe, and um, then CJ who was in my class at school he was born in Washington DC, okay. and I'm like how did you meet? Yeah, like yeah. like I was only ten when I knew them, and so I didn't. I was like oh that's cool, but now I'm like I want to like know their whole yeah, life story. story. That's like, amazing. Yeah. Just, a woman from Jamaica and a guy from Zimbabwe you met and then had a child in Washington DC. That's yeah, nuts. Yeah, I think yeah <laughs> I think this is kind of like you know everyone has a story you know that story of migration and how they kind of got here and how you know I think. You know, there was a documentary on Channel Four, and I've recorded it. But I haven't watched it. Of Gary Young, he writes for the Guardian. Yes, yeah, you know, yeah. About yeah. angry white Americans, and he met this guy. It's Richard Spencer. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. God, yeah. <laughs> I put up a post about him on Facebook, and it's just kind of like you know, bullshititis. This is the condition of people just talking nonsense. Oh, he's, oh, he's, he said that um, yeah, that black people benefited from slavery yeah. because their standard of living is now better in America. Yeah, which I, I, it's one of these things. It's like, how do you start to unpick how wrong that is? Yeah. <laughs> I know it's it's kind of like and it's scary because like I think you know I think it was earlier this year he, you know, people filming at his rallies and stuff saying oh hell Trump hell Trump and stuff and and I never I've never seen someone like Donald Trump actually take a step back and say oh you know what I am don't want to be associated with these people he hasn't even publicly to my knowledge actually said I have you know I you know get my name out of your mouth kind of thing Taylor Swift hasn't even said that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like, it's, you kind of think, mm, what is going on in the world today when you've got, like, the president of one of the most powerful countries saying, oh, there's hate on both sides? It's... I, I know, like, Obama certainly wasn't a perfect president. Yeah. I've got a huge issue with all drone strikes, yeah. etc. Um, but, and even George... It's so sad that we're at this point, but even George W. Bush. The thing <laughs> about George W. Bush is... Although he was an idiot yeah. and, yeah, dreadful, he knew how the system worked. Mm-hmm. His dad was president and so there was a bit of nepotism going on there. Yeah. But he understood, like, how laws are passed and, um, you know, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your sort yeah. of things with getting things done. But Trump doesn't even have, like, a basic understanding of the political system that he's sort of the head of. Yeah. Um, and because he's just so uneducated, yeah. um, I just... And to think that black people have benefited from slavery 
Um, I think the thing that like saddens me the most, well, from obviously from my from my limited point of view, which is that so many people in America have completely lost their like family history. Yeah. Because people were brought over, they had all these um, sort of the different points from which from Western Africa, from which people were shipped out. Yeah. That you know you have no idea what your ethnic background actually is, mm-hmm. and I think that's really important to most people. That's oh, a yeah, really important absolutely. thing, yeah. and to just have completely lost that, yeah. um, I think, really it's tragic. And yeah, and you know it's, it's kind of a country as well. Like it was, you know, like you know, like someone like Trump saying, "I'll make America great again." I kind of thought like, well, who's that going to be great for? What are you kind of harking back to there, you know? Because I don't see like, you know, I've you no know, seen images of like black people hanging from trees and stuff like that, you know, you know, Native Americans having their land taken away from them mm-hmm. and people using all types of bullshit laws or kind of, you know, stuff to kind of like take that away from them. And I think America doesn't really acknowledge that, like just like the UK doesn't acknowledge like the kind of the genocides that they've been involved in and stuff like that. And like someone like Trump, who I'm hoping doesn't last a full, like, you know, the first term of four <laughs> years, I'm very hopeful. That's, that'll be my Christmas wish this year. <laughs> Dear Santa, get rid of Trump. But yeah, I think, you know, like for me, I've also think like, obviously being black and British, you know, Jamaican descent, I find race has always kind of been something important to talk about, you know, like for me. I don't think there'll ever be a point when I like to think there'll be a point when that's never going to be an issue mm-hmm. for like you know the rest of society. But I guess I, I'm I'm very much self aware that my presence sometimes might intimidate or scare some people who are not accustomed to associating with black people and stuff. You know, but I find it kind of humorous now. I think the young when I was younger I probably would be like, I just get pissed off if somebody crossed the road before me or grab onto their bag and stuff yeah. like that. But it's something you know I kind of think back to when I was younger. My mum kind of said like when you're stopped by the police, this is how you have to kind of interact yeah. with the police. And I was, you know, when you're young, you're a teenager, you're just like, oh, okay, mum, well, whatever. But yeah, being, you know, someone that's had been stopped and searched, I know that, you know, family members, that's happened to them, friends as well. And it, the first time I probably got stopped and searched was with like my best friend, Ian. And was in, I think it was in school uniforms. And the police said, oh, you know, suspicious activity and stuff. And you'd be like 13, 14 <laughs> thinking like, what, you know? And then I've heard people have had much more kind of horrific kind of experience with the police, you know, and it's very much the kind of, you know, that was like the kind of like early mid nineties of like, where's the drugs, this, that, and that, and you know, F and this and F and that. Things have changed a bit, but we're not kind of truly moving on, you know, in, in, a, in a meaningful way and acknowledging some of the kind of stuff from the history as well, you know, so. I, I, th- I would love to know the hyper awareness that women have to feel yeah. out and about yeah. and then also as you say with the the higher number of with stop and search mm-hmm. the hyper awareness that people of color have to feel yeah. when they're out and about yeah. i would just love to know how that affects your mental health because it's yeah. not a healthy position to be in to constantly be like ready to be yeah. like constantly be aware it's funny that because i still have that internal feeling when i see a police car go mm-hmm. past me and it's it's fucked up i know that i know i shouldn't feel a bit like oh i didn't i have nothing to hide you know i'm not doing anything you know suspect but that's just kind of my approach from growing up in London it's like okay police are kind of near are they looking at me are they going to come back around again and stuff like that you know it's just like someone so I hope I'm hoping that someone's probably done a study on that like the effects you know yeah. of mental health or like people of color you know interacting with the police so I kind of grew up in a community of actually people like distrusting the police and not trusting the police 
kind of similar to the people I work with in, in now being in Scotland. Actually, I think it's more on that class level, you know? Yeah. They just don't mm-hmm. entertain the police and stuff, you know? We deal with it our own way or we don't deal with it, you know? So there's so there's so a lot there's a lot of things that kind of like you know that need to kind of be addressed i think in society but it's kind of like what's kind of this is what seems to be like a brief kind of like the floodgates get opened and then it kind of closes again like yeah with the whole kind of like harvey, harvey weinstein, weinstein thing stuff, yeah you know and I, it kind of made me realize that you know now never kind of look up to people in entertainment or anyone you don't know as like a hero or oh, I, was, oh, I was really fond of that person and oh look what mm-hmm. they've done because some people have you know they've actually surprised me like the comedian um yesterday louis ck, louis CK yeah so, well it, my my boyfriend's really really into like he likes comedy the way that most people like music or yeah, films yeah um and he had known about the louis ck rumors for years wow, because okay. everyone in the sort of comedy circuit over there had heard about it yeah. and so he through podcasts that he listens to he knew about it and we were talking about um like louis ck has done pieces in his stand-up specifically about feminism and saying if you were a he does this bit where he says if you're a woman and a guy asks you out on a date it's nuts that you say yes because a man is the most threat possible the most threatening person possible to a woman you know you're we're the most likely person to murder you once that we're your partner you're more likely to be murdered by your other half um, and so he does this whole stand-up piece like that and you know a lot of his stand-up is feminist and yet yeah. um, whereas someone like Bill Burr um, he does these sort of really anti-fem- like over-the-top anti-feminist rants mm. and he's being sarcastic yeah. but it's you have to know his comedy sort of thing and if anything came out about him I'd be really surprised mm. whereas I'm not surprised by Louis C.K. Okay. Uh, did, you, did you read his apology? Like, yeah, yeah I did yeah I read that um, last night I think it is like I know, I think when the stuff came out on Thursday, he said he wasn't going to comment. Then he kind of, did he post it up online or something? Yeah, um, yeah. Um, he's been, because I mean, he's been denying it for years. And yeah. he's, best, he's best friends with um, John Stewart, who did The Daily Show. And oh, yeah. he was denying it as well. Um, so it's sort of like a Quentin Tarantino situation. Yeah. Did you see him with Harvey Weinstein? Yeah, it's just like, uh, <laughs> uh, it's just like, part of me, the first response is like, fucking hell, guys. Like, seriously, <laughs> this... You know, you make it seem like the old white boys club, you know, kind of thing. Just like, oh, well, oh, you know, and people, women's stories not even being validated and it's kind of being dismissed and actually careers being kind of fucked over because someone said, oh, no, this happened to me and this is wrong. People just like, oh, well, oh, I might have heard a bit of rumours. I'm not sure. And then kind of like, for me, it kind of pisses me off how like these people are able to retreat and get some healing and self-evaluation thinking like okay you go and do that you know please do the investigate and then hopefully you get arrested you know <laughs> it's just like people you know because they've got they're in that financial position to say oh i need to get some help so now you need to get help because you've been exposed yes you, know? you didn't consider getting the help before yeah. um no that's um a thing with abuse abusers um don't only they don't just they don't do anything that um they consider unacceptable mm-hmm. this is something that i learned studying abuse which is um if there's no such thing as losing control i'm obviously talking maybe more specifically about domestic abuse here about violence but um there's no such thing as losing control because otherwise they would just kill you yeah um so when you're when you're being attacked they do up to a certain point and they go right that's enough if i did more than that people might find out um and i can't remember where i was going with this where was I going with this? I don't know. I don't know where I was going with this. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. So um, being found out is the most important thing to them, not yeah. what they're doing to their victim. Um, with Kevin Spacey, 
Um, I actually saw Kevin Spacey in the theatre. Um, An old Vic. Yeah, he, it was when he was leaving because he was creative director for 10 years yeah. and um, my cousin Rosemary lived uh, around the corner from the old Vic and so she got, they get priority tickets if you live in the area, yeah. so she got me she got me one. And um, I suppose that's the selfish part is that I considered seeing Kevin Spacey live in the theatre one of, like a once in a lifetime kind of, thing. Kind of like a highlight of you've seen It's a highlight of my actor. life, yeah. yeah. Um, it was just, because it was incredible. It was like this two and a half hour one man show and you could hear a pin drop the entire two and a half hours. It was incredible. It was just him on a monologue for two and a half hours right. and it was amazing. And so on a personal level, I feel like annoyed that he's robbed me of that but yeah. it's so stupid and arbitrary really compared to obviously what the victims have been through and I can't yeah. and having um, gone through the court process for domestic abuse against obviously somebody that nobody knows I can't imagine what that must be like to come out and talk about somebody famous yeah. and there, we, it seems like at the moment we need um, sort of the right number of women to come out because um, if one comes out then that's not enough evidence but if too many come out then it's a witch hunt and they're all trying to bring this person down yeah. so we need the right number of victims to come forward for it to be acceptable you see yeah it's, <laughs> and that's because I think like you know a lot like um, I remember speaking to a colleague this week and saying actually I think in like t- early 2000s Kevin Spacey had an incident in Hyde Park and yes. He, yeah, yeah. And he said, "Oh, he, he said, oh, okay. I think it was. I think it was on the lines of like he borrowed someone a phone. If you're from London, going to a park at night, you know, <laughs> we kind of assume we know what you're looking for, Kevin. You know. Um, and I think he kind of more or less kind of people kind of almost kind of like underlined, kind of knew what he was getting up to. And yeah. Like, well, like my my one of my flatmates in London, she had a friend who told her that Kevin Spacey was creepy. Yeah. Like, and so when I found out, I thought, I like, I remembered that, and I was like, oh. And for so for me to know. Obviously not in any artistic circles whatsoever yeah. for me to know. Um, you just think, well, I mean, everyone must have known. Yeah. But I mean, uh, like, well, when I was going through, like, my, I was in an abusive relationship yeah. for six years. And when I was going through that, I mean, it's, it is really amazing. People just are not interested. People are not interested. That's it, because I, I know, I, was, I wanted to touch on that, if you, that's okay. Yeah, 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 go for it. Yeah, because I think, you know, you do speak about that online and stuff. Mm-hmm. and. I'm, you know, very much kind of interested, you know, not in a kind of like, you know, like that kind of like way of like, oh, one, tell me by blow by blow what kind of happened. No, but it's like a serial, it's like serial killers. It's it's kind of that it's thing. Fascinating. It's kind of like, yeah, and you know, you see a lot of stuff. You know, people. I think probably from men when women are in abusive relationships, or I guess some people in general society are saying. Oh, why why does this person just leave? Yeah, you know, that that simple thing. Why don't you just leave? And I think, like, you know, my discussion with people, it's always like, you know, it's always like everyone, you know, I don't know if that's for you, you get that point of learned helplessness. I don't know if that yes. kind of happened for you. Mm-hmm. Um, I, th- I think it's... The why doesn't, why doesn't she leave? I find that people don't tend to ask me that to my face. Okay. Because I think they know that there's a reason. Yeah. Because it happens to one in four women, and one in four women are not morons. Yeah. So, there, and as well, domestic abuse doesn't vary across, um, you know, there's this, this statistic that came out years ago, which I think is still true, which is that um, when there's football matches on, um, domestic abuse spikes because the men get angry at the yeah, score. Yeah, I heard this, yeah. Yes. And so I think that was one of the statistics, statistics that kind of helped um, cement domestic abuse as this very working class problem, mm. when actually domestic abuse does not vary statistically across any class, any race anything it does yeah. not vary at all the style of abuse might change um but it doesn't vary at all across that um 
Again, I've gone, oh my God, I've gone off on a tangent again. Oh, no, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, why doesn't she leave? Yeah. Um, so the thing about abuse is because you are contained, like, for example, I used to have my phone, my keys, and my money taken off of me so I couldn't okay. leave because um, I lived about an hour away from my parents. Um, so I didn't have anywhere to go, really. And so because I was contained, when the attack ends... Um, the abuser gets upset about what they've done. Yeah. And it's all crocodile tears, of course. Um, but they get upset about what they've done. And you're upset because of what's happened to you. And you end up consoling each other. And it becomes this codependency. And it becomes this thing that you're going through as a couple. It's not something that's being done to you. It's something that you're trying to get past as a couple. Like, yeah. um, And that you're just a, a woman who's in a relationship with very like a troubled man who has anger problems. Um, when actually these anger problems don't seem to be directed at anyone else apart from you. He doesn't yeah. um, scream at people in the street or uh, and he manages to solve work problems fine and gets on with his parents, but it just seems to be directed at you. And so um, it becomes that you you know that you are the problem and you keep thinking, how can I solve this? How can I, because I am the problem, how can I solve this okay. um, to make his life easier? Wow. Um, and just the general chipping away of your self-esteem so you think that you can't leave and that no one else would ever want you again and yeah. um, and financially as well I mean I had um, I inherited money and that was taken from me okay. um, because that I had enough that I could have gone and got a deposit on a flat mm. myself um, and you start to just completely distrust your own view of reality um, like I look back at things he used to say to me like it, the flat was in my name and he used to say well if you leave then I will smash up the flat and you'll have all this debt uh, yeah. and, and looking back I could have just gone to my letting agent and say I don't live there anymore Yeah. you know if he wants to take over the lease he can as of this day I don't live there anymore but to me because he was saying that to me I was like oh my god he's right he's right if yeah. I leave I'll be saddled with all this debt my parents might have to pay it. I don't want to put them through that um, so you just you just start to see the world as if you're completely stupid um, and like your just your memory goes. Um, I have very few memories of those six years that I was with him. Okay. Um, it's it's like having dementia, in a way. And I, and I guess would you say that's a way of actually how the mind could kind of cope with that kind of yeah. Thing, you know? Um, when I went to the I went to the police a year after I left him. There was a year in between, and um, I find there was just this misunderstanding of how just how poor the memory is because mm. the police want all all this detail. And um, as well, I was trying to explain to them because they police love dates. They want dates for everything. Okay. Dates that this happened, and I go, I was with him for six years. Like I can't, I, like just, yeah, it, it, it turns kind of kind of a mush, like a ball. Yeah, of this, exactly. Like, I guess it, you know you probably have a few flashpoints of like, oh, this happened, and but I can't remember when that bit happened and stuff. And also, kind of considering you're living in probably in a state of terror in your own house. Yeah. You know, it's just like emotionally, physically, it's just like somebody's actually keeping you hostage. Yeah. And, you know, there's probably parts of you, you know, all the kind of stuff that you say now, like making sense, you're obviously aware back then. I wasn't in that kind of process of actually thinking, okay, I could just do this and I could just do that. Mm -hmm. When you've been in a state of fear and stuff like that. And it's kind of like that kind of learned helplessness that. I think with abusers, from what you kind of see, is just that, you know, having that control, like you said, it's very controlled. So like you said, oh yeah, the crocodile tears and stuff. And then when you're vulnerable yourself, you're kind of like buying into that and being like, oh, okay, 
we can kind of rescue, we can get something <laughs> back from this, I'm guessing, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Because Scott and, like, Scott and I were a good couple. Okay. Like, we got on really well. Like, yeah. we got on really well yeah. as well. Like, that's what you need. You need the good stuff in between because, yeah. of course, you would just leave if it was just constant yeah. terror. <laughs> um, but, um, like, when it was good, it was really good. And I think that's what I was really angry with him for was I saw us as having this really great relationship with a few problems and that he kept, that he kept forcing on us as a couple. Um, when actually, and now I look back and I go, God, like it was all fake. Like it's, it's like as well, like the, the sort of tragedy of losing a section of your life as well. Like I went to a women's aid group. You have to, you have to be referred to women's aid as part of um, the court process. And I went to like this group chat and there was a woman there who was like in her sixties and she'd been with him, like this guy, she'd just left him. She'd been with him her whole life. And I thought like, God, I'm so lucky. Like I got, like I've lost my, most of my twenties. But, um, I mean, because I met him when I was 19 and then the court process finished this year when I was 28. Okay. So, that, yeah, it's a huge chunk of my life. But thank God, at least I'm not yeah. in my 60s with children to this guy. Yeah. I, and, that's, and that's a shame that, you know, there are people, you know, still in these abusive relationships and thinking there's no way out. There's nothing I can do. This is it for me. And I guess, like, you know, it impacts on their relationship with their family and their friends. Because I'm guessing for you it might have been like, well... Ray, he would be in charge of who you could associate with. Yeah, I, yeah, I had to. Um, you're, you're rebuilding like the most tiny parts of your life again. Um, my mum, bless her, she like I was really um, I was quite emotionally mature when I was younger, and um, I'm like on my textbook extrovert anyway. But I was like really hyper as a teenager, and then when I met Scott and I started to like go into myself my mum thought that I was just growing up and becoming more mature so when she would see me and be like oh she doesn't seem her usual bubbly self she just thought that I was becoming an adult and then when I left him and then I came back she was like she realized how bad it had been um no there's friends that um no there's friends that because friends give you power friends give you an option to leave my friend Kathy almost got me out one time and so Kathy had to be got rid of and it's not even um sort of making this huge fuss it's even just every time you see someone that he is scared of it's just the constant annoyance of um and making it difficult for you to see them and eventually think oh i can't be bothered i just won't see them yeah it's just low level annoyance yeah it's just kind of like i guess always kind of making an excuse of why you can't meet for a coffee or you know why oh sorry my phone's not working you know (laughs) stuff like that And, and one thing i wanted to kind of just ask you i guess in um this is a really kind of like heavy podcast. No, now, I know. It? Yeah, you know, but it's just like, I think, you know, having you said it was like six years mm-hmm. of this experience and this awful, you know, this kind of relationship, did you ever get to a point where you're just like, you know what, I know what you're going to do at this time, just get on with it and let this yeah, get to bed. Um, yeah, you know? that's actually that, um, when um, it sort of escalated, because as um, abuse goes on, the um, abuser starts to see the um, victim, they dehumanize them that's the only way because they have a conscience they're not psychopaths the vast majority of abusers are not psychopaths um and so they have to do something to quash um their sympathies for this person so um they dehumanize them and so um abuse does tend to escalate and get worse the longer that it goes on and so um he used to it would start off as something it could be something it could be about like hoovering 
it could start off as being like a discussion about hoovering and then it escalates and escalates until it's about everything that he hates about you as a person. And this would go on for hours and hours. And I was like a full-time student when I was with him and I worked about 30 hours a week as well. And it's like, you know, I've got to be up in the morning. Yeah. I don't have time to listen to this. Yeah. And then eventually I know that the violence is going to start. And it's like, I can't be bothered with the three-hour build-up to that. And the not knowing when it's going to happen... Um, can sometimes be the worst part. And so I just used to be like, right, let's get on with it. I know that's where it's going to go. Um, So I just used to kick off first and then it just gets over and done with and I'm in my bed in an hour, which is so sad, but that's how normalised it becomes. I just want to get it over and done with. Um, But I didn't didn't do that for the first, about two years. It took me about two years to even fight back. Um, And it's really terrible. I'm going to tell the story with a smile on my face because I still remember how I felt. Um, There was one day in our flat, um, I was making spaghetti bolognese and he came through and he kept just like nudging, just like poking me. And he just, and just shoved, to give me little shoves. And you know, when you just get that way, where you just, where you think I'm going to belt this person. Um, And he was going, hurry up, hurry up, make tea, shove, shove, shove. And eventually, like I plated up and and I just poured it over his head. Um... <laughs> I just poured it over. Said that was the first time that I that I just had had enough, um, and like I paid for it, but um... <laughs> I see you smiling your face. Like yeah, that because also. he. But the thing is, that one time that I fought back, he moaned about that for like the next four years. Anytime anything happened, you'd go, well, remember that time? Like, you could, like that was hot spaghetti. You could have blinded me. Like, that's why. <laughs> so, so, he, he, so he became the victim. Yeah, you know, no, but the, me, yeah, he will know. use, like, a, like any tiny little thing. Be like, oh, but remember, that one time, you did this. Um, and as well, like, I think um, the media and um, sort of certain films and television programs that we have, we have this idea of... Um, violent aggressive love like they're like the, there's a couple and there's they just love each other so much that they get aggressive with each other and it because like this mutual thing i really have this belief that no abuse is mutual at all there's always one party yeah. that starts it um and so i think that's and that's how i started yeah, i started to be i was like oh god maybe i do ha- i have an anger problem because look at me i like i i have i like i i have this um i have this huge issue with confrontation i hate confrontation um it makes i can't even watch other people have a confrontation <laughs> like i um, i have to go and like leave the room and so so when i was getting to that point where i was sort of starting fights with him i was like oh god he's right like i have an anger problem as well when obviously i didn't at all and still don't um but it's just because I just, um, it was just, it had become so normal to me yeah. that I just wanted to get some sleep before I went into college the next day and had to pretend that everything was fine. I think being in that position is probably like being in a state of fear. It's like that kind of um, fight or flight survival mode, isn't it? It yeah. just kicks in. It's kind, of like, it's kind of like that kind of ripping off that band-aid kind of thing. It's like, this is going to happen, so I'm just going to do it yeah. now. You know? And, and it's, just, it's unfortunate that people have to kind of still live this way and experience life like this, you know? And everything very much hidden, having the, like, the veneer of, oh, we're happy, a happy couple and stuff. And I think, you know, like, so when, you know, for you, you're online and you're kind of speaking about this and saying, you know what, I'm, we need to fucking address this issue. You know, because, like, I think, I don't know if the law in Scotland's changed. Yeah, um, I actually don't know if the bill's gone through yet. And I was quite, it was a shame. I, well, I wrote to um, the MSP who's mm. putting it through mm. and... Um, Angus Robertson, who was my MP, but now we've lost and we've got a Tory, we've got oh, Douglas Ross. Okay. Ugh, <laughs> like I'll, I'll, I'll talk about that forever if we get started now. Um, he was, he, we spoke a bit about it. No, it was um, that now domestic abuse can still be counted even if you've never had a hand, hand laid on you because the emotional mental um, stuff yeah. is a lot worse a lot of the time. Like the stuff that I find, I find really difficult 
I didn't start to struggle with what happened to me until I got into a new relationship and you realise, obviously there's no such thing as normal, but um, that everything you think a relationship is totally wrong. I, like, and Mike, like I would burst into tears at the smallest things because I thought I was about to get in trouble. And um, even one time, like I was in the sh- I was in the shower and um, Mike um, came in and like pulled back the curtain and went well and like gave me a fright, and I freaked out because when I was with Scott, um, one of the things he used to do to me, and this is a thing, this is one of these things that when you tell people, it just sounds it's it is funny. Mm. Um, it's he used to come and pour cold water over me when I was in the shower, and at first the the first like one or two times he did it, it was a prank, which is fine, it was a prank, but he used to do it enough, um, like I wasn't because I wasn't allowed to have the door locked when I was in the bathroom, um, I know, <laughs> and it's just so that you are not safe anywhere, and it became this thing that because because of the way that our shower was, it just meant I had to constantly look over my shoulder to see is he going to come in and pour water on me? So any creak or any noise? Yes, like, and so you're yeah. just on edge all the time, and it just becomes it's just um, a way to just make sure that you're never comfortable in your house, and um, so that was like a big thing I had to get used to, and I think the 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 best moment for me I realized I was at home one day and Mike came home and I heard him open the door. And I didn't have like that sinking feeling of God. What is it tonight? Like it's so. And even for me coming home as well, and I put my hand on the door handle, I think, oh God, I don't have that. Like I don't do like the deep breath before I go in the house anymore. Um, like getting over. I didn't know I had been doing it until I realised I wasn't. Um, yeah, the deep breath before going in and thinking, oh, what is it tonight? So you said like the court case. How does how did that kind of get resolved? And or if not, you know. <laughs> the court case. Um, the year and a half it took to do the court case was worse than being with him for six years jeez <laughs> i'm guessing as well because it's going to be like the blow by blow evidence cross like cross questioning and well and we didn't get to that um i went to it i left it a year because when i left the relationship is that this is another thing oh we might just go to the police abuser um abuse victims don't know that they're abuse victims a lot of the time i didn't know i thought i'd been with a bit of an arsehole and then I started reading more, um, and I realised that had there like just how bad the violence had been. Um, I went to my mum made me go and see a counsellor, and the big big thing I learned was that um, there's no there's no like spectrum of abuse because when we read about it in newspapers, it's always acid attacks or the women who are murdered, um, just all the really horrendous ones. And so I thought, well. I, th- I was trying to work out recently like where my line would have been where I would have realised when I was with him and I think it was bo- broken bones because okay. I used to think well you know because I'd been to A&E twice once was for a suicide attempt and the other one because I was just like oh, I was just tired I was just yeah. like I want to, like, want to go to sleep forever um, because I was so tired of the whole thing and then the second time was um, he took my head off a door and perforated my eardrum and but I used to think, well, I'm not here for don't have a broken arm. I'm luckier than most women, don't have a broken arm. And so this counsellor I went to said, no, no, no. She said, there's just this line and once he goes over that line once and that is it, you're in an so abusive so relationship. So basically, I guess, using that kind of mind frame of rationalising the yeah. levels, like, you know, if you could have like in a, a level, like a chart in front of you, yeah. you're just like, oh, this hasn't happened to me. So it's not that bad. It's, it's not that bad, yeah. Asshole, you know. Yeah. And, and it's, or, you know, for just hearing you kind of like, you know, speak about this is scary it scares me that you know that this is kind of this happens to people people have to experience you know and i speak kind of, about it so flippantly yeah no no not the flippant, but i do well i do yeah. and yeah like when i yeah so i left it a year before i went to the police because um 
yeah, just I hadn't quite come to terms with it yet. And then he, well, he, we were, I mean, we were together for six years, and then two months later, he had a new girlfriend. And she was like, he's younger than me, but she was even younger. She was, I think, nineteen when they met, and um, that's the age that I was when I met him. And I thought, oh god, like imagine if I heard that he'd been doing the same thing to her, oh, yeah, and I hadn't done anything. How that'd feel. Yeah. yeah, and I thought, and I hadn't done anything, and I know that's not my problem as such. Um, that's obviously up to him to not abuse women, mm. but um, I just thought, um, no, let's do something about this. Um, and so one day. And Mike didn't pressure me at all. He was kind of fantastic. Just every time I told him something that, you know, every time I got upset and it was something that we had to deal with, he would say, you know, you can still go to the police. And he would just leave it there. That was it. And then one day I just came home from work and I went, you know what, let's go to the police. And so we did. And I was really lucky that they took me really seriously. Um, And um, it moved really quickly. I wish I'd kind of known that because I gave my statement two days later and I wish I'd had... That's something I would say if anyone's listening that would consider going to the police about anything is that they love dates. They want dates for everything. They want... Like if... And describing sexual assault, they want you to tell you which hand he used. Like on it... They, yeah, they want it blow by blow. So... Um, and I kind of wasn't prepared for that. But I gave about 10 and a half hours of statement and um, I had to give them all the details of friends that I named and so they went and interviewed them, they interviewed my best friend Laura and my sister, um, mutual friends of ours um, who were all amazing and um, told, yeah, told them what they knew even though they were his friends as well, apart from his best friend who I was also really close to, he refused to make a statement. But that counts against him because why is your best friend not making a statement about you if you're yeah, innocent? Yeah. So, um, so that would have been the October, then he wasn't arrested until the beginning of February and um but his friend had warned him and so he was he was lawyered up yeah kind of prepped and stuff yeah yeah um so um and then after he was arrested and then released on bail um they wouldn't tell me what he'd been charged with um even though legally i have a right to know and it didn't matter how many times i asked they wouldn't tell me whenever i phoned the crown office they Oh no, the person you want to speak to is not in. Nobody phoned me back. Um, and then that went on until December. Um, and then I find that then so the whole time all I'm doing is waiting. And so Scott knows what he's been charged with, and he's got a solicitor. I don't. I don't know what he's been charged with. I don't have anyone. I'm not like um the victim is considered a witness. Okay. I'm not treated any differently than any of my friends who were giving evidence. I'm just considered the, the key witness. I'm not the victim. And so I didn't need to get a solicitor. So I didn't have anyone to help me. And um, that was really horrible knowing that he could he was getting prepared. We were going to be questioned in the same way, except I had no idea what it was that we were going to court for. And then at Christmas time, yeah, at December, they finally said, right, you're going to court December okay. in, in January, the last day of January, uh, which was a Monday. And so um, that gave me something to get ready for. Still don't know what you've been charged with. Jesus, yeah. Uh, and then, so that was the Monday we had, it was Perth um, Sheriff Court we were supposed to be going to and hotel was booked. Um, all my friends who were witnesses had time off work and then Friday afternoon, two o'clock, I got a phone call saying he's played Gully. Okay. After 15 months right. of that. And what was his kind of like, what was kind of outcome for him then? Nine yeah. months of community service and he had to pay me 500 pound. For six years. For six years, yeah. Jesus, you know, um, 
<laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, the, I was the thing I was actually most worried about was um, well, then he was sentenced in April, and I was thinking how is this going to be reported in the paper because I'd never discussed it with my grandparents. My granny will not discuss it with me because it upsets her. Um, and these things can be very victim blamey. Um, but I was really lucky that when it was reported in the paper that they basically said that he'd gone off lightly because he's clever, which he is. He's actually at RGU. He's doing his PhD there. Okay. Um, so. I think, and also the, the sheriff had said, I had to write this big victim statement saying how this has affected my life as well. So the sheriff read that and how this had affected me financially. I wasn't allowed to accept jobs. Yeah, all my friends, mm. mentally, blah, blah, blah. Um, so he'd read all that from my point of view and that's still what he got. And, um, yeah. It's a bit, you know, it's kind of like, for me, it's kind of like one of those kind of scratching head moments or like, you know, disbelief, like, you know, from you kind of speaking about or what you experienced in those years, the kind of, the emotional, you know, the emotional impact that has on you, and mentally, physically, and then this is like the end result for this person. So, you know, nine months community services, 500 pounds, there you go. So it's yeah. just like, you know, he can walk away from that and actually be like, oh, you know, and get on with his life. And yeah. no, no doubt which you are doing now, clearly, you know, <laughs> you've kind of found, you know, you're probably, you know, you're in a better place than obviously you was back then. But, it's scary. I'm I'm sort of starting to get to uh, I don't know I'm starting to get to the stage I'm writing this book about it, mm. and I'm starting to get to get to the stage like my friend Sarah um she was um abused by a parent mm. um and and yeah her dad went to jail and she said that she's at the point where she's like I never want to talk about this ever again mm. she said I'm just at that point I just mm. and I can see I'm starting to see where she's coming from and it's just kind of I I the most common thing I get online and in person is what about male victims I get that a lot and. I am totally on board with um, doing more for them. Um, there are no refuges at all for male victims in Scotland. But um, I feel like at the like women should if women are being abusers towards men, then we should totally be the ones to dismantle that. That's absolutely fine. Yeah. But women are also having to dismantle the oppression against them. So at the moment, I'm I'm like. Scott never has to talk about this ever again. He went to court, that's it. It will never affect his life again, apart from it will maybe, you know, when he applies for jobs, he has to put it down. But he's so clever that they probably won't care because... Yeah. And I guess if he's got the gift of the gap, he can just be like... Yeah, of course, because well, he's, tra yeah, he's yeah, charming and he's, yeah. Yeah, he's a nice guy. <laughs> he's a nice guy. Um, whereas uh, me, the victim, I now have to talk about this for the rest of my life to draw attention to victims. Mm -hmm. And why should like why should I have to do that? Yeah. Why should I have like have to be a victim for the rest of my life to try and raise awareness, which I would so want to do, but I also don't know if I can be bothered talking about this <laughs> for the rest of my life. And I'm just starting to wonder, like after the book's done, um, whether well like whether I'll move on to something else. Yeah. Um, and I also feel I had like a lot of I don't know if guilt's the right word, but when I started writing the book, I was like, if I didn't have this, if I didn't have domestic abuse. I'm not oppressed in any other way, really, apart from being a woman. Um, like, I'm still white and have all the privilege that comes with that. And I used to think, like, like I don't deserve to be a writer. Like, it's Scott. Like it's thanks to Scott that I have something to write about, which is not healthy. Um, and... I guess, in, like, you know, like, from what you said earlier, like, you know, you grew up quite advanced. Yeah, so those, <laughs> no, you know, those skills and those talents are always there. But then they got suppressed for a few years, you know, quite yeah. a while. But it's, I guess it's kind of like almost kind of like rediscovering those skills. It's kind of like, you know, riding a bike again. <laughs> yeah. And actually kind of getting in tune with that. And that's what I kind of wanted to kind of ask you about, you know, how, you know, that horrific experience impacted on, you know, your writing now. Um, well, 
a question I do get asked is like, what was the like? Because like, why why did you leave him in the end? What was the moment? And I think people are going to think are thinking that I'm going to describe like this final sadistic beating. When actually, before I left Scott, he hadn't laid a hand on me for a year before I left him, um, because I actually had left for a little while, and I think that sort of scared him. So and then I went back, but he never hit me again. Um, but it was actually when I came back from London, he was in his last year at uni and um, I had a job at um, Tesco head office and um, I had a lot of free time and so that's when I got the political editor job at this online magazine and it was just a voluntary position but I didn't really care because was, I was writing and he said to me, Lauren I think you need to get a grip of yourself and realise that you'll never be a writer and that was it, that, like after everything that he'd done he said that and I went Oh, I don't think so. No, no, no. <laughs> and we broke, we broke up like two weeks later. Yeah, so it's kind of like, oh, okay, fair enough, but fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know. I just, I just thought, no, like, no, I yeah. thought you cannot say that to me. Yeah. <laughs> it was, yeah, so after every, everything he did, that was the thing that got to me. Yeah. That um, if he was going to try and take, like, okay, maybe taking away my journalism career, but if he tried to take away just actually writing away from me, I thought, no, that's not that's happening. That's what, you know, what you're actually passionate about. Yeah. yeah. And, um... I would say it's affected my... I think it's made me a more empathetic person. And maybe if I hadn't been through this, I wouldn't be so aware of feminism and violence against women and all these issues. Um, I'm I'm not glad it happened to me, but I wouldn't change it mm-hmm. now. Really? Yeah, I wouldn't okay. change it. I wouldn't change it now. Yeah. Um, no, I don't think I would. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you know, this thing like, you know... Um, like, kind of not, not stomp for words, but I know how you just speak about this. It's just like, you know, not like it just rolls off the tongue, but you know, yours actually speaking, like, say, you know, this is what happened to me. It was horrific, but I'm kind of moving on. I guess like each day at the beginning was a challenge, but you seem very kind of like a centered person, <laughs> chilled person. He's like, you know, so. Um, yeah, I suppose I'm just. You know, they say the best, like, best revenge is just to live well. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. So, yeah. Yeah, because I don't, I, I just, I, I don't think, I just don't think about him anymore. Mm. Apart from when I talk about that. And then I feel annoyed when I'm talking about him. I feel like I'm giving him oxygen yeah. by talking about him. But um, it also kind of makes me happy that, um, like, I don't look at him on social media or anything like that. Just, I just, because I'm just not interested in what he's doing now. Yeah. Um, but his, his girlfriend went with him to the sentencing. He's still with her. I know. Um, so, and, and I don't blame her. I don't judge her. It would be really wrong of me to judge her because obviously I was with him. Um, and if he's genuinely not hurting her, if I've given him enough of a scare, then that would be good. But but, you, but you'd like to think though, when someone's, you know, like, uh, you know, whatever, how committed you are to, you know, the partners is for her to have those alarm bells being like, what? Well, that's what I hope. I hope I've given her is an awareness of yeah. what he can be mm-hmm. um, and that she knows things to look out for. That's what I'm hoping I've given yeah. her. Yeah. Um, so, like, on your book, is this what you're speaking about? In yeah. Um, I'm just starting... Um, not from like you know like just not David Copperfield like this is the day I was born on um from that point on but I'm talking a little bit about um I mean anybody can be a victim but I'm talking specifically about why I was an easy target um because I have I have daddy issues um, I said to you before we started I was adopted by my stepdad when I was 12 my real dad is not particularly interested in me I haven't seen him for 10, 11 years um and so 
Um, I wouldn't say I had this gap for a, a male role model or anything, but I think there was definitely like some kind of void. And I thought that um, if I was in a relation, like if I found someone that really loved me, then all my pr- life's problems would be solved. Yeah. Um, and I, when I met Scott, I just had my heart broken like properly for the first time when I was 19. Um, oh, we all remember what that's like. Um, he's he's an Aberdonian actually. Okay. That guy. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he lives in Torrey. Um, yeah. Um, uh, so I'm talking, yeah, talking about why I specifically was a target, um, and yeah, then just basically what happened. But I'm going to go a little bit into the psychology of it and things okay. to look out for and why they do what they do. Yeah. Um, I w- if anyone wants to know more about domestic abuse, the book I would really recommend is one called um, Why Does He Do That? It's mm-hmm. by a guy called Lundy Bancroft, and he um, is an American, and he runs these it's it's anger management but it's not anger management because um abusers don't have an anger problem but it's like a specific domestic abuse program that he runs for people who have gone through the court system and been told to go and do this um and it's absolutely incredible and i think it is well if it's not necessarily you but someone that you know and you don't know how to help and that will give you just an idea of I think if you want to help and the thing is now that I've been through this if someone I know if this happened to them I don't know if I, how I would help them it's so weird even though I have that insight I yeah. don't know what I would do I think um, the most important thing is to just not be judgmental mm. and have your if you find out that this is happening to one of your friends or family members just so that they know that they can come to you yeah this is, I think that's kind of like spot on is actually you know like you said if somebody's you know experiencing this it's actually saying um, that safe space for you, the safe, you know, you can come to me, you know, there's not going to be judgments and there's not going to be like, just leave that person and stuff, you know, yeah. and I think, and when someone's experienced that in that situation, that's not helping because you've got all these additional pressures like, look, well, I'm going to have to go back home to this person oh, yeah, and yeah. stuff, you know, and like, it's, it's, it's I, I think it's never as simple as actually packing the bag. I guess for some people, they might find that strength to do that at the time, but then there's always kind of like that bit, so I'm guessing of like, the groveling, the crocodile tears. Yeah, well, that's what happened that to stuff. me because yeah. I, I did when I like when I came back and left him for good. I wasn't living with him. I was back living with my parents mm. because I just come back from London. So I was really lucky. I had that space. Mm. Um, but originally, I'd left him sort of two yeah two years before because my friend Andrew found out what was going on. I came into uh, he hadn't even Scott hadn't even hit me the night before. It was. Um, he I'd lost something well now the thing is I look back and I'm like did I lose it or did he steal it so that we could have this argument um I'd lost my iPod and he took everything I owned out of all of my drawers all of my, all the cupboards and then I had like a time limit to get it back tidy but then every time I tried to put something away he would take it out again um so I came in the next day I was to college I was absolutely exhausted and then I ended up just bursting into tears my friend Andrew found out what was going on and Scott was away so Andrew drove me to my house I'd write get your stuff in my car and he took me to my parents' house. But then it was just that thing of I felt like I didn't have a choice and I had to go back mm-hmm. and I did. And it was the worst, it was the worst moment of my life, I think. Yeah. Sitting outside and I was like howling, crying in my dad's car, thinking I have to go back in. Um, yeah, I know, look at your face. <laughs> I know. No, it's, it's just like, you know, because I, you know, I, I have sisters as well and I hate to think, you know, like, you know, they're, they're strong women. Are, yeah, um, well, the thing is, is as well, like, I think they have this, um, people as well have this idea that they would be drawn, men would be drawn to, um, like, women who have already been abused. And I think they can kind of sense that, but they also like big personalities, but then they want you to, um, when they want you to do everything that they want and then find that you can't, they find that very frustrating and it actually makes them come down harder on you. 
Um, but no, my sister, she had no kind of no idea the scope of it, and she had been going through a lot of a lot, like the other thing as well. Like I missed out on so much of my friends and family's lives. Like two of my friends lost their lost their dads, and it just like didn't it barely registered with me because I couldn't yeah. I hadn't seen them, mm-hmm. um, and was just so just trying to crawl through my own life. Yeah. My sister um, had had lots of mental health problems when she was younger, um, but she's just moved to Australia and she's doing really well now, so that's oh, good. Cool. But um, we were like best. My sister and I are really close and when I left Scott she said you know I feel like you really haven't been here for me and she gave me a really hard time and I said well actually this is what's been going on and she was like oh my god yeah um so everyone had been feeling a bit sorry for themselves I think um but yeah you just miss you just miss out on, on so much. life in general yeah. I guess yeah yeah and one thing I wanted to kind of ask you because obviously you're a writer mm-hmm. and like who kind of inspires you kind of to write and, and who are you reading at the moment to be like oh this is an amazing book and who would you recommend to the listeners to kind of pick up their book um i would say probably the well when i realized i wanted to write my own book it was after reading um becoming by laura j williams she is um she did a what was it i think it was creative writing her degrees in and then she has written two books now and I read Becoming when I was on holiday in Paris a year ago um Scott and I had gone and so um my best friend who's also called Lauren we went back we'd both been with horrible ex-boyfriends and we went together and it was to kind of wipe the slate because we loved Paris yeah. and it was quite depressing that the only memories we had were with these awful men that we'd gone with so we went and I'd had my photo taken on this bench um, by Scott when I was there and I went back with Lauren and she took my picture on the same bench and it was just this different I think I look like younger now than I did like you can I like I look ill in all of my pictures with him and so it was just like a nice time nice way to like wipe the slate clean and because we'd both been to Paris before we didn't do all the touristy stuff all we did was sit around and drink red wine um, and I, so I read that book when I was there and it's um so yeah, she's amazing. I went to, she does like writing workshops as well. I don't necessarily believe in someone teaching you how to write, but um, I went to two, two of her workshops and they were really, really helpful. They were amazing. Um, she's doing some of them online just now. So yes, look up Laura J. Williams. She's very good. Um, who else do I like just now? Oh, um, a girl I met at the writing workshop, Alia. Um, she's Egyptian, British. Um, and so that's something that she... Um, is sort of trying to figure out is she's being British but when people look at her they see a terrorist um, so <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so that's like something that she um, is having to sort of balance it in so I guess her she's, life. she's kind of exploring that and does she, does yeah. she have like an online blog as well she's got but she's quite a big blogger now okay. um, I, can't, I can't even remember what it's called though it's fine I will give you links and stuff we can, okay. we can link the stuff cool. um, um, oh my friend um, oh my god who was I about to say? This is awful. I'm the worst interview ever. Um, <laughs> my friend Layla, oh my god, her boy, her blog is called Tape Parade. Um, she is also a woman of colour and um, has constantly people trying to touch her hair. Um, and <laughs> See, this is what I want to speak about as well. Because like... I, this is, I think I'm kind of like, when I, the early years I remember like, you know, speaking to my wife and speaking about race and stuff and it was kind of like, do not touch a black person's <laughs> hair, you know, being black 101, do not touch their hair. Because I think this comes from, so we kind of jumped and now we're kind of going back to the race <laughs> no discussion race now. No. It's, just, it's, it's a thing I think with black people why it's just not on and it's not accepted because, you know, 
our ancestors went through this kind of bits of slave markets of people touching their hair, opening their mouths and stuff. So we kind of, kind of, not like we've taken that on, but it's still kind of, for us, there's still that kind of bit of like, we're not like in an exhibit, you know, we're yeah, not like a the, toy. And, you there's, know. there's, so this is something I will admit that, well, CJ, who's in my class, mm. um, so there's, um, I went to a non-denominational school, but we still sang hymns in the morning. Okay. And one of the sort of children's hymns that we used to sing had this line in it that was, if I wear a fuzzy wuzzy bear, I thank the Lord for my fuzzy wuzzy hair. And we used to rub CJ's head when we sang that bit. I know, which is, in some ways it was just like, but to us it was just, um, it was sort of so innocent in yeah. that it didn't occur to us that this is something that would upset him because we were just like, well, CJ does have fuzzy hair. And it was yeah. as simple as that to mm. us as children. When obviously um, the age that he was at, his parents were probably introducing him to all these ideas of his heritage. And um, and he must have been hyper aware of the fact that he was the only black mm. child within you know 50 miles mm. probably. Um, whereas to us, it was just this really innocent thing. And now we get older and look back and go, oh God. Cringe. Cringe. <laughs> yeah. but, it was, but it's also because our parents weren't educating us because yeah there wasn't they didn't feel that need for that obviously yeah. as long as we were being nice to him mm-hmm. um yeah it's, it's it's funny you know like stuff like that and i guess like you know my experiences in like going to school in london and every time we spoke about race or kind of like slavery how it was so kind of misconstrued and you know they, they, like you know slavery happened can't deny that you know it's an awful thing you know it's a disgusting thing that happened but from that kind of like i guess down in London would be secondary school not academy you know it's mm-hmm. different you know, words um, it was very much like okay here's your black history kind of module Malcolm X Martin Luther King mm-hmm. and slaves so you know and that's kind of like agreed on the government level that yeah. that can be teached in schools but I needed to have those conversations with family members outside the school dropping that knowledge about actually black people weren't born slaves you know we come from like you know our ancestors come from like you know like probably not our ancestors because we're not aware of where our ancestors specifically come from mm-hmm. like no but they were actually rich thriving like societies in africa yeah it's um the when we think of like africa we don't even separate into countries it's yeah. just africa yeah. there's yeah we've yeah. got canada and mexico and yeah. the united states of america over there but then we've just got africa yeah and um it's just this one giant culture mm. and everyone lives in huts and has flies on their face yeah um yeah. and yeah. unless we go over and give them donations everyone will starve and yeah. um, when actually there's this huge like well first of all they were being creative and creating all these incredible like I think people don't know that there's cities in Africa. Yeah, yeah. That there are skyscrapers yeah. Yeah. and financial <laughs> markets. Um, <laughs> um but the the fact that like the Western um ideal um that this is what society should look like. And do you know what? if everyone is living in huts, if everyone is happy and sustaining themselves like who cares? Yeah. Who cares? But I think it kinda of comes from that kind of Western or I kind of say this is like this Eurocentric kind of view. Yeah. That um oh, that's different, we don't really understand it, therefore it's kind of wrong, so we have to go and kind of, like, civilise them, you know. We need to bring them capitalism. They don't know they need all this stuff. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, I think that's the kind of thing when you you go hard back to kind of years of, like, empire as well, it would have been, like, you know... On Armistice Day today, Sweden. Oh, okay, isn't it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, for me, it's kind of like, you know, I, I, I find it important, like, that we have to kind of educate people on the wider aspects of why kind of slavery happened and stuff like that and also kind of like 
and people speak about like you know the British Empire I guess in some generations of people might look on it and say oh it was amazing you know and stuff but people like my colour my ancestors it wasn't a great time to kind of be under that kind of you know the United the Kingdom. Commonwealth yeah the Commonwealth no such like, thing as Commonwealth yeah and it's almost kind of like it's scary that you know I think like the generations of people there are kind of thinking like oh well it's our birthright because we're British and this is like and I remember I was in school and one kid said can't remember his name and because I went to school in called Dunraven School in like South in Streatham, South London. So it's very multicultural, black, white, Indian, mm-hmm. Asian stuff. I remember white one a white kid kind of saying that, um, oh yeah, they came over to the motherland. It's talking about Windrush from like the period when like my grandparents would came over and stuff like that. And it's just kind of like everyone's just like what like oh. you know it's, it's kind of like us at our young age like in our teens like what and stuff. So it's can like. Wouldn't like to know what kind of conversations going on in these houses. Your house, I yeah, know. Yeah, but no, we, you know, we we are definitely going through times that you know, like the kind of the same, like oh, now the alt right, you know, who are this racist and fascist. It's just you know, fascist. The new just word say, for fascism. Yeah, just, say what, <laughs> just, just say what it is. You know, like you know, I don't think it's ever anything anything new. People saying no, it's like on on the news, saying it's a bit of like a resurgence. But I think they've always been there. But obviously, like, going back to that kind of Trump kind of discussion, they just got someone that they feel like, oh, actually, he's kind of, like, on our side a bit. And he's employed a lot of people that kind of, like, support us as well. So it's okay to be like this, you know. So, and that scares me. And I think, you know, um, it seems like the kind of the politics in the world was kind of do swings and roundabouts. We have a kind of period we have Obama, like you said, you know, we mm-hmm. can't be happy with everything that he's done, you know. And we had George W. Bush before that. But then we have someone who's just like, this person fucking scares me. <laughs> it's just like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah, I'm swearing again. <laughs> so like, <laughs> Sorry, mom. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, really, I'm kind of like, you know, you know, we have to get on, we have to kind of live our lives, obviously. But there's there's someone in that the White House who's this talking those of shit. Doesn't probably probably doesn't really know what he's doing. Doesn't uh, clearly he's not one in a clean kind of house. You know, a lot of stuff is probably going to come out uh, coming maybe next year in the new year. Russia, yeah, yeah the Russia stuff, and you know, it's 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 scary. You know, that it's exhausting. It is yeah. exhausting. Yeah, yeah. Plus the global warming, you know. Yeah. <laughs> My friend um, Magnus, he's doing his PhD at King's College in mm. London just now. And he's um, studying... Um, it's like whether global warming and um, nuclear power... Like problems in nuclear power stations, whether global warming causes more problems with them and then it becomes this cycle. Mm. Um, and I said, I'm like, is it not really like soul destroying when you're studying global warming and having people who have, you're doing your PhD and have people who have no idea about this telling you that your line of work is fake. It's not real. <laughs> it must be so draining to yeah. work in that industry. Just, yeah. Yeah. I know. Then you're like, no, fake news. <laughs> you know, it's like. Well, it's like, I, I always think that we're sort of making progress, like well, my boyfriend and I were speaking about, like his dad, his dad's a really nice guy, but again, this is how ins- this is how insular some parts of the UK still are. Um, I haven't seen it, but I think it's the Bank of Scotland have got an advert and it's like a gay couple, like two women buying a house or something. And Mike's dad was like, oh, I see they're using lesbians to sell banks now. It's like, where do you think <laughs> lesbians keep their money? We're, like they keep it, they still keep it under the mattress. Like... They're finally letting lesbians into banks now. What? Like that's 
that's like 50s stuff yeah but we're, yeah we're still yeah. there yeah he's like oh but i'm he's like i'm very forward thing i danced with a gay man once at a wedding you know like well done <laughs> i've ticked that box well like. done jake yeah <laughs> but you know i think you know on a lighter note i think like the the younger generation now they're so much more switched on you know. Yeah, the little snowflakes. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I think so. Um, I think one good thing about social media is just access to other people's stories. Yeah. Um, I just have so much more awareness, I hope, yeah. um, of just things that my friends go through every day. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I said, my friend Leila said people constantly try and touch her. I don't even know what Leila's actual ethnic, but ethnic background is because mm. she doesn't talk about it. If she just won't talk about it, then I'm I'm not interested. Yeah. But she says yeah. that people just just constantly are like, "Where are you really from?" Yeah, that that's, that's, that's <laughs> the kind of conversation because I guess in like in Aberdeen, you probably have a lot of like um, students who are from Nigeria. And yeah, yeah. So yeah. people kind of when I open my mouth, they'll be like, "Oh, that's oh, that's surprising. <laughs> Where are you from? <laughs> from London? Oh, okay." they make people like you kind of thing you know it's just like when I first came up here that was kind of like my experience of like yeah. I remember when it was really bad weather and I went to like the local spa or something and it was snowing and the guy's going oh you won't be used to this weather I'll be like oh yeah I put on a yeah, real I put on a real kind of like fake Mockney EastEnders accent oh yeah you right mate I'm used to that kind of stuff and he's like oh a bit surprised you know <laughs> So I was kind of like very much like had, used to have fun with that, you know. <laughs> oh, when I went down, some of the questions I got about Scotland when I lived in London were just yeah. What what, what questions did you? What get? side of the road do you drive on? What <laughs> what currency do you use? Like I had someone like I was transferred down from a store. I worked on the huge Selfridge on Oxford Street, and I got transferred down from up here. And people would be like, "But I don't understand how you transferred. Do you have Topshop in the Selfridge in Scotland?" And I was like, <laughs> "Yes, we've got hospitals and everything. It's incredible." Um, I had there was a girl I worked with who genuinely thought that Scotland was still like Braveheart, like huts, like genuinely. And I was like, oh, "Do okay. I genuinely seem like someone who like didn't go to school and like what?" You come with your war paint on. And yeah. Stuff, like... oh, God. No, it's, yeah. It's, it's interesting because I, I was probably one of those people when I first moved up here had this like kind of thing when I, when I was first going out with my wife um before we got married obviously it's just like oh you guys have that as well <laughs> like you could like oh you have a gap oh you have that as well is, is you, you know i'm from london it's london's like such there. a bubble yeah so it is you know so it's just kind of like comparing everything it's like oh my god you got that as well maybe it will work out yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah like i am I, I knew like people when i lived in london i knew people who had been abroad but had never left London yeah I know I know a few people yeah yeah because you just have it like you just have everything there you never have to I say everything's on your doorstep it's kind of like um you know you got like the kind of 24-hour kind of night service and public transport and stuff like that so you can be from one part of London to the other yeah oh yeah again like Leila who was speaking about Mm. she lives in London and we were talking, she was like talking about like, I think she went somewhere, I think it was maybe when she was in Glasgow and she was like, oh, there's no night buses. And I was like, there's no bus where I live. Well, I think they've, well, they've just started one up, but we don't have a bus at all at the weekends. Um, my nearest shop is about four miles away. It's the nearest <laughs> shop, the nearest supermarket's nine miles. I couldn't drive when I moved up there either. Okay. So that was, and I had to learn to drive as soon as right. I went up there. Yeah. Fun times. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I can, I mean, I can live anywhere. I'm pretty adaptable. So oh, I like, cool. I like London. But oh, that's good. Like, no, I'm glad like you had a good experience in London because some people who I know from Aberdeen or other parts of Scotland say, oh, I like London. This for a short weekend. It's too busy. It's too manic. I can't manage it. Yeah, my it, sister right? hates it. My sister okay. can't bear that. She, she feels like everyone in London has no manners. So yeah. people are just shoving past each other and don't say, excuse me. Yeah. She finds it very stressful. I guess so as well, because we just have, we have that kind of like mentality of just working, going to work and like busy bees, worker bees yeah. and having to do that. So everyone's just kind of very channeled. I need to get to this place at this time. I need to, I'm going to squish myself down on the train or the tube, get on that bus. I need to get to work and just get home. 
So I don't think anyone in London's kind of really, you know, when they get the opportunity, I'm sure they're kind of taking in life and enjoying stuff, but it's very much that kind of tunnel vision. Let's just get on with it. I yeah. remember like my first experience of being in Aberdeen, being at the bus stop and someone speaking to me, it freaks me out. <laughs> because in London, you just be like, oh, that person's kind of crazy. Like, Do not speak to that person, you know? Because someone's just going, oh, nice day, nice weather. I'm just like, uh, yeah. Like, you know, it's just like, but then it's, it's been an education. And I think like um, something, you know, on a positive note, like even, you know, we speak about like, you know, before we've been speaking about race and stuff like that and kind of like the kind of um, sexism and, you know, always have issues. But, Scotland, like I've mentioned before, like on Facebook, like Scotland is home for me now. Oh, that's I'm, nice. Yeah, but I'm always going to be, like I said before, like Gary Kemp from Dot Escape was last week. Yeah. On the podcast, like, I'm always going to be a London at heart, you know? Yeah, of course. And I'm, and I'm happy of that. And I'm going to be proud of my like, Jamaican background and stuff and where my family's from. But like Scotland, Scottish people, there's a way about Scottish people is very warm and welcoming, I think, as well. And I think like that's, that's, that's something that I could kind of take if I ever moved away from Aberdeen, I'll take with me. It's like, actually, yeah, like... You can go, you know, if you're out on a night out, you know, some might be, you know, have that. It's always random how people speak to you when they're really drunk. <laughs> like, yeah, but I've made, like... I've made almost all of my Aberdeen friends on nights out. Like my yeah. friend um, Gav and I, we've been friends for, I think it was 10, yeah, 10 years this year. Mm. And we met on his 18th birthday night okay. out. I was out in fancy dress for another 18th. <laughs> and uh, no, that was it. We've been and friends this is going to be like this conversation. Oh, how's it going? And stuff. And it's like, and before it was an adjustment for me because I wasn't used to that. Because in London, you know, people were like, kind of like do stick to the little groups and your friends and you know that's my sort of group of friends yeah. and that and but in Aberdeen I think everyone or in Scotland generally more it's kind of welcome hey how's it going and stuff like that why oh, do you want to drink and that it's like it took a while to get used to but it's actually a nice experience now you know that you, you can actually engage in conversations with people and you can leave it like that it's not going to kind of turn into a bit of like oh what's this person kind of after or something you know it's like but no, that, that's one of the kind of positive things I think about Scotland. And it's good that, you know, we have people like you who, you know, writers, you know, creative people doing something positive, you know. And I think I was want to ask you, like, you know, once you've kind of done this book, where do you think your next kind of... Where the, where, the, where the ideas line for your next I'm going podcast. to set up a rival podcast. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm going to Australia in March and I'm hoping I'm going to have the book may only finish by then or at least in such condition that I can start sending it off to try and flog it okay. um, and then I, th I think hopefully when I'm away in Australia I'm going to try and figure out what I want to do when mm -hmm. I come back I think I'll maybe start going down more of the politics route okay after and go yeah. with go with bimbo oh okay yeah probably crack on with that alright cool because I saw like um, something I can't remember what page it was on my Twitter or whether it was on the the devil wears tartan mm -hmm. on bimbo saying like you know you're a bit of a Star Wars geek as well oh yeah but, yeah, yeah yeah I'm, I'm getting I'm finding it well because it, yeah, it comes out next month. We're yeah. getting, really getting there, but I'm, God, I'm actually probably going to get quite choked up already. I'm, um, the fact that this is going to be the last Carrie Fisher film. Yeah. Um, and as well, I'm a big Singing in the Rain fan. Okay. I am. I've got Singing in the Rain tattoo, mm. and so to lose Carrie and then lose Debbie Reynolds mm. like two days later was yeah. quite <laughs> difficult for me. Yeah. Um. So I, I keep. I'm getting more upset about losing Carrie Fisher as time goes on, not mm. less upset. And yeah. every time I see, like you know how for Star Wars they do like the trailer comes out and then they do this behind the scenes trailer yeah, as well. Yeah. Oh, and then the oh god, and it's like got her and oh, it's just and then at the end when she goes, it's about family. That and I'm like, I was like, <laughs> I keep, I cry every time I watch it. Oh, and, okay. Um. No, I am. I'm a bit of a Star Wars geek. I am. Yeah. I, 
I got into it quite early. Like I'm of the age, like I was 10 when the prequels came out. Okay. And most people my age, I think that was their first time they'd seen Star Wars. Right. Whereas um, I was six when I saw the originals because my granddad was into it. So I was mm. really lucky. Um, <laughs> I was very lucky. Um, so then when the new ones came out, mm. as I said, I'm the emotional one. I'm the crier. <laughs> I said, right when I go and see it, I'm not going to, I'm going to save my crying for the end. I'll just build it up and then I'll just have a cry at the end. Um, and so I went in and then it came up, you know, a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. And then it goes, and yeah. I went, <laughs> and there was a little girl sitting next to me. And she was looking at me like, what is wrong with you grown women? Yeah. I was yeah, howling at the opening credits. Um, and then I, yeah, I think I cried four times. Um, so, and I, I just don't see this one being any better because of Carrie Fisher. I'm quite yeah. curious to see how they've um, done her death. Yeah, I think as well. I think like the, the recent trailer um been like we're still talking about it with a couple of friends um a couple of weeks ago on the Friday and it's just like it's obviously been a bit of a, like a play on like kind of tr- trickery there. Yes, I think they're trying to there. make it look as if her son like I just I think it's too much. I think yeah. I think um Adam Driver's car I think Kylo Ren has to still be this redeemable character otherwise yeah. there's no draw. Yeah. Um and so I think for him to kill not just his, to kill Han Solo. Yeah. Um, Spoiler alert. <laughs> so, no, I'm sorry if you haven't seen it by Two now. Two years then. later. Yeah. <laughs> um, like for for them to go for him to kill both, I think would make him an irredeemable character, and yeah. then there's not going to be that yeah. that pull. And I think they're also trying to make it look um, as if um, Daisy Ridley will maybe go over to the dark side, but that's not. Gonna I happen. think that's a bit of a misdirect. Isn't yeah, it? I don't yeah. think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited that Mark Hamill's like properly back though, because obviously he wasn't yeah. in the last one, yeah. so that's cool. That's the thing, because I think like Star Wars is kind of like multi-generational different things i probably grew up in the like well born in the 80s and then we had that kind of period of like every christmas and easter it would be on itv yeah which is probably the equivalent <laughs> of stv up here yeah and then we're like oh my god star wars again <laughs> and you know and now it's obviously i think like sky have got the rights to it so it's always on like sky TV yeah they've got an actual channel yeah yes, they've got a star yeah. wars channel yeah yeah so you know like would you ever think about getting into writing for like a something like that if you could um y- yes but i find um, like, because I'm kind of the same with Lord of the Rings. I'm a big Lord, th- fan of the Lord of the Rings same film. Yeah. yeah. But um, I've read the books, but they're just a bit flowery for me. Like, mm. I obviously really, really appreciate what they are, but just um, I find them quite, diff- quite yeah. hard going. But I find, like, obviously with Star Wars, this is there's this whole canon. There's all these comics, yeah. and I just. Um, I'm kind of like this with everything. I kind of just take what I'm given. I yeah. understand, like, I probably really enjoy all the canon mm. and all the backstory stuff, but I'm just happy to stick with the films and take what I'm given. Yeah, yeah. Um, oh, yeah, God, I just, I really love Star Wars. Like, it sounds so stupid when people who haven't seen, because I, I do meet people now and again who haven't seen Star Wars and haven't seen Lord mm-hmm. of the Rings, and they think that I'm absolutely crazy when I'd say, like, I cannot imagine my life without these things. <laughs> um, like, Lord of the Rings was such... It's one of the few sort of joyous things about my teenage years yeah. was the fact that we had Lord of the Rings every Christmas. Um, my friends and I were... And, it, like, it's also, like, that sort of, like, angry nerd thing where I'm like, oh, you didn't like it at the time. I used to get bullied at school for, like, in Star Wars and Lord of the Rings. Yeah, yeah, now you like it, don't you? Yeah. Um, and we also got into... Um, I don't know if you've seen this, but um, I became really obsessed with Sean Bean after the first Lord of the Rings came yeah. out. And the more I watched the first Lord of the Rings, the more, like, I really love his performance in that. I think Sean Bean's actually really underrated. He's, like, mm. a proper Shakespearean actor. Mm. And, um, like, the Boromir part is, like... The that's the one that has to be right in the first film. The mm. whole film, I think, rests on Boromir, but, yeah. and because um, you have to like feel empathy for him, but then also being oh, it's just like oh, it's so good. <laughs> um, 
Um, but then after I got obsessed with um, Sean Bean, like, because in the 90s, he was in the TV show Sharp. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. <laughs> um, not so cool for teenagers in the early noughties. Um, and my friend Kirsty used to record it off the telly and we would swap the videos at school. <laughs> um, yeah. It's a, if anyone hasn't seen it, it is a nine, it was a 1990s Napoleonic war drama. Yeah. Um, yeah, starring Sean Bean. Being, but he's like proper Sheffield in it. Um, yeah. Every, yeah, everything's thick your, accent your bastards yeah. Yeah. yeah it's all that it's so good and then it's got every British actor you've ever seen is in it before they were famous it's yeah. got like Daniel Craig in it and yeah. then Pete Postlethwaite and oh it's so good it's I really remember good. that as well I think was it on like Sundays or something yeah they do they show it yeah. on the history they show it on the history channel yeah, yeah. yeah. my sister because my sister now that she's living in Australia she um, is staying somewhere she, she's doing her visa work just now at a pub and she's two and a half hours from the nearest town and the last time she was in town she rented a DVD because they still have a rental place and she rented Sharp because that's the thing that was making her like it made her feel closer at home was watching Sharp (laughs) yeah I had a great time in high school (laughs) the popular kid obviously (laughs) (laughs) so you know um Going back to like, you know, um, the online blog and, you, blog and you said like, you know, you're going to kind of pick that up once the kind of um, books kind of, yes. like, kind of more like further progress more with your book. Um, do you think like having a blog now is that kind of the way to go for young people to have the kind of a creative outlet to discuss their interests, to share their interests with the world? Yeah, I think a blog's good because it kind of i mean people can't make mistakes in private anymore i think that's the difference between maybe like our age group like i mean i was um i was still in my teens when sort of you know msn took off Mm. the internet really came in and so i was just right on the cusp of having no social media and it was really great because you got to go through like your like the phase where you're like ugly um in in private and there's no (laughs) not really any photos of that um and not being able to do your makeup properly and having dreadful eyebrows whereas now it's just the pressure's on um and i think a blog is just a really good way to just get practice and find out what works um for the people that are interested in your writing I kind of don't pay a huge huge attention to my stats and things Um, if a post really like fails then I maybe won't do that kind of thing again but if it's something I've enjoyed writing I just I don't care so yeah I think um, if I think if you're wanting to write then yeah blog's really good practice and it gives it's such I I hadn't done anything on my blog for the last month or two because again I was working on the book and I put up a piece this week and I forgot how um, just um, how good it is to just get like immediate feedback on something that you've written as well. Um, but my my mum pretends that she doesn't read my blog. Oh, but you, clearly she does. We had to have like a discussion about <laughs> it because I do write about um, sex and things sometimes. Right. And my mum, um, my mum is only a prude with me. Like I know that she's just as dirty as I am, but <laughs> just in privacy with her friends so she can be quite finger wagging with me but I know fine what jokes she's making with her friends um, so I think she kind of keeps an eye on my Twitter feed and things um, but she she's a huge cheerleader of mine she shares everything that I write and things on Facebook yeah I think that's what that's what we need the mums for the mums I know like, yeah, yeah like well yeah yeah even if she's like all the hundred listens on yeah. the podcast yeah, yeah. yeah bless her no the last thing I wrote I wrote a thing for the notebook um, about my court case and my mum like emailed it to all of her friends and everything oh, okay. and then when they replied she like sent me all their comments and yeah. stuff it was really cute that's it because i think like you know having that kind of journey online and sharing your views and you know, like quips and stuff is something kind of new for me as well and it's actually like i said like on the last podcast you, you're meeting like-minded people yeah and it's actually quite nice to actually connect to people as well even like and i think 
you were one of the first people that got in touch with me and I was going, no, I'm starting a podcast. And I kind of really appreciate that, you know, that here's someone that, you know, for yourself who I've been following your stuff for a while and then you're like, oh, I can, you know, come and... I know, love like, talking about myself. Please have me on. <laughs> I think that's what I said. Yeah. No, I actually put everything on Twitter like six months ago being like, I don't do podcasts. I just really want to come on and talk oh, about okay. myself. Right, right. So, and then some text appears Yeah, later, textbook like, extrovert, yeah. yeah. No, I just love talking about myself. No, that's good. And I think, you know, thank God that, you know, you're here and you kind of you know, spoken about yourself. So uh, it's touching it just, just a little bit there about, you know, um, you know, having a blog and stuff and how, it, you know, that's a creative outlet. And what would your kind of advice be to a young up and coming writer? And they say, no, this is what I want to do. I've got a passion for this. I've got a story to tell. Like, how would you kind of like encourage somebody to kind of, you know, progress that? Um. I think actually the most important thing to do is listen to other people. I think sometimes I see maybe writers who are slightly younger than I am and um, they're just, it's like, you know that that thing when you're younger, it's like you're so sure of your opinions. It's like, I sometimes see them and go like, oh, that's so cute. Like, that's cute. Yeah. Um, uh, I think it's just that, yeah, that sort of certainty that you have when you're younger that you're right about everything. Um, I would say like, as I said, I think social media is great for seeing other people's points of view. And I think um, the best thing to do is interact with people from as many different backgrounds as possible yeah. um, to help you form your opinions on things. Okay. That would probably be my advice. All right, nice one. <laughs> and so you said Australia next year. That's yeah. just like uh, going to see your sister. Sister and my best yeah. friend moved over there as well oh, within okay. three weeks of each other. So right. yeah, I'm alone. So how long are you going to be out there for? Uh, I go to Hong Kong for a week. Um, my friend Lily, who lives in Dubai, is coming over to meet me um, because my boyfriend keeps telling me that someone is going to kidnap me and steal my kidneys. <laughs> On the black market. <sighs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm, honestly, he's been deadly serious. Oh, like okay. He is terrified of cities, so the fact that I'm going to a city on the other side of the world and I was going to do it just by myself, he was a freak out so my friend Lily is going to take an expensive holiday so that my boyfriend feels better about me not having my kidneys stolen um, and then I'm just in Australia for two and a half weeks okay. and then come back so All nice right. little break um, yeah, I'm just staying in Melbourne I have had no interest in going to Australia it makes me sound like a spoiled brat but I've never really wanted to go to be honest like I think like New Zealand probably more I want to me. go to Lord 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 Rings yeah. yeah I want to go Hobbiton yeah. I don't care about Australia yeah. like because <laughs> I think like uh, there's a little story I think that that was like the Lord of Rings like so this is like way back when the first one came out um, the Fellowship of the Ring that's when I first kind of met my wife you know oh that's well. nice so, and I remember that there's a story that I won't tell you on here because I don't want to embarrass <laughs> her about so there's you know and, and so Beth you know what I'm talking about um, <laughs> but yeah that, we kind of like had that period of like she like getting to know each other in the years and, and thinking oh New Zealand looks like a beautiful place so I've always kind of been more attracted to going to New Zealand than Australia yeah I don't know why and probably like you know same distance of time and traveling but I'm like I agree like yeah New Zealand probably appeals you know, to me more and... Yeah, they so. had to create a ministerial position in the government after Lord of the Rings came out to deal with all the tourism. Oh, okay. They had, like, right. a minister for Lord of the Rings in the government, honestly. <laughs> really? Yeah, because oh. the tourism went up so steeply. Wow. Yeah, how cool is that? Yeah, it's amazing. It's really good. No, but it looks like a beautiful place. And so, um, beyond, like, Australia, what else is on the cards for you in the new year? Um, I'm turning 29. Okay. 2nd of January. Okay. It's my birthday. So you're getting closer to the 30s club. Yeah, yeah. last year. I'm actually really looking forward to being 29. I don't okay. know why. I'm right. like, I find I find this growing older thing, I find, um, makes me sound like a crabbit old bat, but I find that, you know, if somebody dies young, mm. then we say, oh my God, what tragedy. They had so much life to live. And then mm. everyone who's living goes, oh my God, I'm getting older. It's awful. I think, well, pick one. It's one or the other. Either it's a tragedy, <laughs> um, 
to lose life so young. Mm. Um, so yeah, I, so growing older does not bother me in the slightest. There's a, there's a nice thing about growing older for me now. I know when I, when I had like a 30th little celebration, and it's, for me, it's, it's not like I have that kind of ego about oh no, I'm getting older now and stuff like that. I hopefully I never have a midlife crisis. But I think you, you're getting older. I think you, you, you know, you know. I know I'm still young by any means compared to the older people I know. But so you're getting these kind of life experiences and stuff. Oh yeah, like I get better with age. Like there's no yeah, doubt, like no fine doubt. Wine. Yeah, no doubt, <laughs> yeah, no yeah. doubt. I get, I'm getting better with age. I seriously think my sixty is going to be my prime. I think I was like born <laughs> to be sixty. I'm so excited. Um, so yeah, I'm turning twenty nine. I was actually due on Christmas Day, so it could have been a lot worse. Oh, okay. Um, but I was, yeah, I kept everyone waiting. So yeah, I'll be turning twenty nine. Have my last year of my twenties. Mm. Um, I want to flog my book. That's the big thing about next year. Yeah. And do you know what? I'm, I'm not even like that fast. If nobody wants to buy it, I'll just self publish. I just yeah. I I just I don't know I don't feel very precious about it um I don't again this whole thing of monetizing your creativity I don't mm. think I'll really be fussed if you know I'm not looking to become a novelist or mm. anything I just want to get this book out there yeah. and then I think maybe I'll feel a bit sort of cleansed after I've written it and will yeah. feel like I can just move on to something else yeah um no I can't think of really anything I've got in the pipeline for next year um apart from yeah I think it's just getting us sounds awful get Australia out of the way but it's even people are going oh, what, like what are you thinking about doing when you go to Australia and I was like I looked up I was like oh, I looked up where Ears Rock was and I went oh no that's too far I'm not going to you could have to like a very, very kind of basic little trip to Australia yeah I'm just going to go to Mel- like when I go on holiday I just like to sort of pretend that I live there like I just like to go and then eat and drink and go on a night out and things I'm not really bothered about doing anything touristy in Australia oh, okay. maybe I should go to the Great Barrier Reef before it all dies yeah, yeah. Not to be negative, yeah. but maybe go before all that starts to die. So when you're when you're in your sixties and your prime, you'll be like, "Well, I've done that." Like you know, like whatever. Now it's a theme park, or whatever. Like, you know, it's like. Yeah, um, I might try and get back to Paris again next okay, year. Okay, yeah, Paris, a yeah, beautiful place. Oh, as well. I would go every year. But I got engaged in Paris. Oh, well. did you? Yeah, I didn't. Oh. I didn't do. I didn't do a cheesy Eiffel Tower thing. So, but it was near there and stuff. So, how long I, have you been married now? Two and a half years now. Yeah, I got married 2015 in August. August 22nd, I remembered. Yeah. yeah <laughs> like, so, your wife is listening. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah so, um, yeah, no, I've um, been together with my wife for a long time as well. So we met 2001, kind of started dating 2002, I think. Oh, yeah. it's a while, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we kind of kind of like laugh and joke about that as well and say, like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, because you used to have hair and stuff like that. So... <laughs> Yeah, but I think, you know, being in a, like, I guess for you now as well, having that supportive relationship makes yeah. a world of a difference to any kind of creative outlet that you have. You've got someone 100% yeah. backing you up. You yeah, know? Mike just says, oh, writing comes for it. It doesn't matter what we're doing. He goes, oh, writing, like, he says, have you got writing to do tonight? And I'll mm-hmm. say yes. And he goes, okay. And he's like, he's like, go sit down, like, whatever we're doing. He's like, no, yeah. go sit down, get your writing done. He's yeah. very encouraging. And Mike and I met on Tinder. Did you? Okay, because yeah. I, I hear so many stories about Tinder. I loved Tinder. I know a lot of people don't like it. I loved Tinder. <laughs> Is I it loved, just for the banter? I loved like... judging people. I loved like some of the horrible dates that I went on yeah. because um, yeah, everything's yeah, everything's copy. Everything, um, even bad stuff's a good story. Yeah. Um, no, I went on this date. Um, sorry to your mum again. But I went on this date um, that I've been looking forward to for a long time. The guy worked offshore, and so we hadn't managed to sort of go out. And then eventually we did, and it was going really well. Mm. And then he went so. How many people have you slept with? <laughs> this is the first date. First date. Oh, and dear. in my head, I was like, oh, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing? And I thought it's some kind of test, obviously, but I don't know what the answer is. Um, and I was so angry with him that I told him in like 
excruciating detail. I was like, well, this is the age I lost my virginity at, and this is how many people, so per year, this is how many. Um, uh, it was just awful. And then he went, oh, and then he asked me when the last time I'd had sex was. Oh, okay, is that when the time you say, oh, maybe the excuse to actually go then? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. well, yeah. Um, yeah. No second date. The yeah. second day. So yeah, um, but then my yeah, I was actually seeing somebody else when I met my boyfriend. Okay. Um, and then yeah, we went out on a Tinder date, and I went, oh no, so Same. I had to go get rid of the other guy. God damn you. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, Mike was just very. Um, it was just easy. Yeah. It was just easy. Mm. Just effortless. Um, yeah. the second date we went out, and he said, "Do you think we're a couple now?" I feel like we're a couple. On the second, <laughs> and I went, "Maybe we'll like." It was like as we were sitting down, and I was like, "Well, maybe we'll eat our burgers first. <laughs> And uh, then we'll see. And then the third date was I went up to stay with him at long week- for a long weekend where I live now. And um, I like, this story really splits people. But what I'll say is that Mike like sensed the tone. He like knew he already like had guessed that I would think this was cute. But some people find this really creepy. Right. <laughs> I was like sitting in bed, and he brought me a cup of tea in bed, and he kept like looking at me, and I was like, "What is it?" And I looked at the mug and it said Lauren's mug at Mike's house. He'd had oh, it made. Okay. But it's like he wouldn't have done that if he knew that I'd find it creepy, but he yeah. knew I'd find that cute, which yeah. I did. And then um, the next month, so we started seeing each other at the end of March. And then I think it was this was April or May. We were out for lunch and my flat, my landlady had told me she was selling my flat. And she said, um, oh, let me know um, if you want to move out in August. Um, or if you want to stay on, I could sell out from under you and then you'll just have to leave. Mm. So tell me what you want to do. And I thought, I bet Mike and I are going to be speaking about living together by then. And so in the And so we went, we went out for lunch and Mike went, oh, have you told your landlady what you're doing about your flat yet? And I went, no, no, I haven't, um, I haven't decided. And he went, you've told her we were moving in together, haven't you? And I went, well, <laughs> maybe. And he's like, you know, we've been together like two months. I was like, yep. Oh. And he was like, okay, so that's it. So we're moving it. That we're moving it together. And I was like, yeah. And then I did. So we moved in together four months to the day after our first date. Wow. Yeah. So you actually you you were probably one of those advocates <laughs> for Tinder. I I love I love Tinder. Really? Yeah. I, yeah. I just I, think even the bad stuff is yeah, funny. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. Like, <laughs> from a writer's perspective, you're thinking like this is such good source oh, material. Oh, it is. Like, yeah. Because and the thing is, I've become known like when I lived in Aberdeen, even like some of the horrendous dates I've had mm. before Tinder came out. Like I found like I would go to like parties or on nights out and stuff, and be introduced to like friends of friends, and they'd go, "Oh my God, are you that Lauren?" And they would start telling stories. I'd go, "Yeah, that's me. Thank you." <laughs> yeah. No, like, I really want to thank you, Lauren, for coming on the <laughs> podcast. It's been, like, speaking about your experience on the, you know, the difficulties in domestic abuse relationship. And I think, you know, definitely we have to get you on again. This was kind of like a, a geek chat and stuff. A yeah, we chat. should. Oh, my God. Yeah, should we, do, we should do like a geek special. Yeah. 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 No, definitely. No, definitely have to get on next year. We could do like a Star Wars round table. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. Oh, we should totally do that. Start off with episode one. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, a breakdown. But oh. no, um, thank you for definitely for coming on no the podcast. Problem. And, you know, all the best of luck with the book as well. No procrastinating. <laughs> get on with it, you know. Yeah. And stuff. And yeah, and, you know, enjoy your trip as well. Thank you. To Australia and yeah, and have a great Christmas as well yeah. too. As well, so it's that time. Well, it's because of my birthday. It's like Christmas, New Year, birthday, and that's oh, me okay. for another year. All right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> everything's over within eight days. Okay, cool. <laughs> but no, thank you very much again for coming on um, the second episode, yeah. the Creative Me podcast. 
this time with your host, Ike Headlam. <laughs> I remember to mention my name, Ike Headlam, and we'll kind of hopefully get you guys listening again soon with the third episode. Um, but yeah, thank you for your time, Lauren. No problem at all. And we'll catch up with you guys soon. So that's bye from Ike and Lauren Aitchison. Bye. Bye.